Well, welcome to Church at K-May. My name is Chris. Um, me and my family have been partners here for uh, right about five, six years, somewhere in that range. Um, I used to be the student pastor here, then we found somebody better. I don't know where he went, though. There he is back there. Um, but uh, I had the, the pleasure of speaking to you guys this morning. They let me come up here and talk every now and then, and I'm, I'm super appreciative of that. But um, if you have been with us or if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Acts. We're in a series called Multiply, seeing uh, the, the multiplication of the church, not just the simple addition of believers, of Christ followers, but the, the vast multiplication of that, huge numbers joining this movement of, of Christ's followers. And, and uh, in Acts chapter 9, the beginning of Acts, we saw um, the conversion of Saul. Saul, the, the oppressor of the church, the guy who was going around and trying to kill Christians. He was on a, a mission to try to end this movement, to end the name of Jesus, to, to make sure it was snuffed out and and. That name would never be uttered again. And he's, he's on the road to Damascus uh, in his purpose to erase, eradicate Christianity. And he's blinded by a light. Here's the name of Jesus, and, and, or here's the voice of Jesus, excuse me. And long story short, he becomes a Christ follower. And that's where we pick up this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 31. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm pretty sure they're going to have it up here on the screen. Or if you have your phone, you can go in your Bible app and, uh, and follow along. Go to the events tab and follow along with us there. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Jesus said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for being here with us this morning. God, I thank you for being with us in the good times and the bad times. God, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds for what you have 
for us this morning. Fill this room with your presence, with your mercy, with your grace. And be with us this morning, God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was studying this passage, we typically kind of map out this person speaking this week is using this passage. The next week, this person is using this passage as we kind of map out what that's going to look like. And I'm reading this passage about um, Aeneas and Tabitha or or Dorcas. Let's let's get this off the table real quick. Dorcas? Who names? Like, if, if you were to Google, like, the top names, top baby names in the U.S., I'm pretty positive the name Dorcas is going to be way down that list, okay? I would go by Tabitha as well. Um, but it, Tabitha was the, the Aramaic, Dorcas was the Greek. They both mean gazelle. They're, they're basically interchangeable here. But for the sake of me not laughing while I'm talking, I'm going to refer to her as Tabitha for the rest of the morning. Um, we see this this account of Aeneas and, and Tabitha. And I'm, I'm wondering why would Luke, the author of Acts, why would he put these two accounts here? We've been talking about Paul the last few weeks and then we, we all of a sudden revert back to Peter. It's kind of a, an awkward pivot here. Um, we've seen previously, we've seen um, the, the apostles do miraculous healings. The last time I was up here and was able to speak to you guys, we talked about Simon and Peter healing a lame man. We've seen a, a similar miracle before. Why would Luke put these two accounts here? Two specific things kind of stuck out to me. The, the first one is the fact that um, it says Peter, when he went to Lydda, he was with the saints, he was with other believers. He was with the, the church of Christ. And then um, in verse 36, it talks about Tabitha being a disciple. So Peter was dealing with people in the church at this point. Yes, he was still out evangelizing. He was still spreading the good news, but he was also in the presence of believers. And then the other thing that jumped out at me in verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That mention of peace there, it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were no longer walking in the fear of Saul, in the fear of their own safety, in the fear of their lives possibly being taken. The oppressor of the church has exited stage right. We learned last week that Paul could have been off the scene for 10, 12, 13 years possibly. The church is ushering in an era of peace. We see multiple people coming to a relationship with Christ and they've come out of this valley and they're starting to kind of hit this this high, this mountaintop. The church is doing really, really well. But the deeper you look at these two accounts, the other thing that jumped out, you begin to see some suffering here. You begin to see some suffering here. Even though the church as a whole may be on this upward trajectory, some of its members are still struggling. Some people in that church, even though the church is doing well, there are some people that are still going through trials, are still going through tribulations, are still going through tough times, that they don't understand why they're in that spot. They don't understand what purpose God would have with such a, such a thing. Life is good for, for many. We experience this all the time. We have our ups and downs. And oftentimes life is going good and we get hit with some sort of upheaval, some sort of pivot in the road that we didn't expect to happen. 
That happens to us. See, I want, you to, I want to tell you this morning that when you're in those situations, God uses your suffering. God uses your suffering. Now, I know you're, you're sitting there thinking, Chris, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know what's happening in my life right now. I, how in the world can God use the divorce that I've been in for the last two years? How can God use that? How can God use the fact that I just found out I'm terminally ill, I have some sort of sickness, and I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I can't fix that. I'm not a doctor. I can't, I can't fix that. How can God use such a situation? I just found out I, I lost my job. I lost my financial stability. I, I have a, life, a lifestyle that I'm trying to maintain. How in the world can God use such a situation? How can God use that suffering? And that's where I want to go this morning, guys. Point number one said, God shouts through our suffering. God shouts at us through our suffering. See, sometimes, sometimes we need our attention grabbed. Sometimes we need our attention grabbed. I know my, myself, I'm clear of that. That's happened multiple times in my life where Life seems to be going good and I kind of hit my groove and I don't really, I feel I, I don't really need Jesus sometimes. I, I've got it under control myself. Look what I've done. Look at the life I've created. I don't, I don't have that need for Jesus. I don't cling to him like I should. See, sometimes we put up that facade like we have it all together and we don't need Jesus's help. But suffering removes that facade of self-reliance. God uses suffering to divert our attention back to him. The, the English theologian and philosopher C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We're deaf sometimes, aren't we? Sometimes the pain is from something we've caused. Sometimes we've made a, a, a dumb decision and suffering ensues from that. I, again, that's something that I have lived over and over and over. I was a, a freshman in high school or a freshman in college, excuse me, and um, kind of felt I, I hit my groove. I was uh, going to class or not going to class so much and living my life, having a good time and uh, doing what I thought college was, was all about. And then uh, come midterm, and the, the college sends me a nice little letter that says I'm on something called academic probation. Okay, I don't, I don't really know what that is, but I'm, a, I'm a just, yeah, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I've got this under control. Keep on doing my thing, and uh, end of the second semester, they send me another letter, something called academic suspension. Yeah, <laughs> that was my reaction as well. And then I'm left picking up the pieces of what I thought was an awesome life and asking myself, why am I in this situation? Yeah, I, I, it was definitely my stupidity, but I'm asking God like, God, you could have you dropped a brick. You could have you helped me. You could have done something here. You could have fixed this some way, somehow. Now I have to leave all my friends. I have to leave the, the, the life that I was living. I have to go back in the workforce God, why? Why am I going through this? 
Sometimes our, our suffering isn't from something we've caused. And I, I think that's kind of the case a little bit here. And uh, with Aeneas and Tabitha, I, I don't think Aeneas had any control over his situation. We don't know. We're not given a whole lot of background of why he was paralyzed. Was it a, a sickness? Was it an accident? Uh, we have no clue. We do know he was paralyzed for eight years. That's a long time. That's a long time to be asking, God, why, why am I in this situation? God, what purpose do you have for me not being able to walk? He, he clearly could walk before, and then all of a sudden for eight years, he can't. Tabitha the same way. I don't know uh, 100% the circumstances here, but it seems she was good. She was serving people. She was um, putting others before herself making garments and tunics, taking care of the, the widows in the church. And all of a sudden she gets ill and, and dies. Maybe God was trying to get Aeneas's attention. I don't know. Maybe God was trying to get the, the people of the church in, in Joppa who knew Tabitha. Maybe he was trying to get their attention. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it was someone else who heard that story or those two accounts after the fact. Either way, God uses our suffering to get our attention, to get us to call out to him. That's where I want to go with point number two. Jesus is sovereign in our suffering. Our suffering submits to Jesus. Jesus is clearly present in both of these accounts, and I think Luke does a really good job of pointing that out to us. He's careful here to point to Jesus and not to Peter as the healer. Even though Peter shows up, Peter is the, the tool. He tells Aeneas, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. Jesus Christ heals you. With Tabitha, Peter sends everybody out of the room and prays to God. And Tabitha comes back to life. Luke is also aware here of the similarities, the mirrorings of a couple of Jesus' miracles. Luke had wrote about them previously in Luke chapter 5 and, and Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 5, a, a story most of us are probably familiar with. Jesus is, is speaking, Jesus is preaching, and there's crowds around him. And these group of friends have a, a friend who's, who's lame, who can't walk. They can't get to Jesus, and so therefore they take the lame man to the top of the building to the roof and lower him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus, very similarly to what Peter does here with Aeneas, he says, arise, get up, make your bed. The story of Tabitha, Luke chapter 8, very similar to when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. Jesus arrives on the scene, the, the little girl's dead, and he sends everybody out of the room except for a select few, interestingly, interestingly enough, one of which was Peter. And Jesus sends him out, and Jesus says the, the Aramaic phrase, he says, Talitha kum, meaning little girl or little child arise. And then we see here in Acts chapter 9, Peter says, Tabitha kum. One letter difference. 
I don't think that's a fact that would have been lost on the, the early church here. I think that's something they would have seen, and they would have seen how this mirrors exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was present in both of these situations. You see, Jesus is sovereign over every single thing in this world. He's in charge when things are grow, going great. He's also still running the show when they're not. He has the power to heal. He has the power to fix things. And he also has the power to let them be sometimes. See, I think it's there that we struggle the most. I think it's there that we struggle the most. We ask, is, is God in control? We ask, is God in control when there's sickness affecting us? We ask, is God in control when our life seems to be spiraling downwards? We ask why. We ask, where is God when bad things happen to good people? David, a man described as a man after God's own heart, pelts God with questions over and over in the book of Psalms. He says in chapter 13, he says, Will you forget me forever? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 22, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? You can hear the pain in his voice here. Maybe it's our own suffering that causes us to question. Or maybe like the, the other widows in Joppa, it's someone else's suffering and we question, why do bad things happen to good people? Tabitha was described as a saint. She was described as somebody who, who gave up of herself for the widows in the church, making those tunics, making those garments for them. Why would God allow sickness and death come to such a sweet lady? I experienced this for the first time when I was in high school. I played soccer. I can't now. And I had a... a guy on my team named Keith. He was a year older than me. I was a, a sophomore in high school, if I remember correctly. He was a junior. And semester was about to begin, and Keith had been on vacation or something and was, was heading home late one night over here in Hanahan near North Charleston. Comes to a railroad crossing, and there's a, a car stuck on the railroad tracks. Keith sees a train coming. He gets out of his car. He helps Keith is 14 or 15 at this point, helps a 21-year-old lady and her three-month-old baby out of the car. For whatever reason, he thinks that somebody else is in the car. He runs back up there to the car. Train hits car. Car hits Keith. Keith dies instantly. Keith had his entire life in front of him. Keith was like Tabitha. He would have given you the shirt off his back. He would have told you what he believed and how good of a friend he had in Jesus Christ. Keith was an awesome guy. He had plans for the future. He was looking to go to the Citadel, go in the Air Force. He was a young kid. Why in the world would something like that happen? Why in the world would God take somebody like that so soon? We asked over and over, why does this happen? I'm sure Keith's parents asked the same question, his family, his girlfriend. I'm quite sure Aeneas 
in Acts chapter 9 asked that same question as well. He was paralyzed for eight years. God, why is this happening to me? I'm sure the people in Joppa who knew Tabitha were asking, why did this happen to Tabitha? And I can't stand here this morning and, and tell you the answer 100% to that question. I don't know exactly what your, your situation is. I can tell you, I can give you hope in the fact that the Bible promises us several different things concerning this. The Bible doesn't say, or does, doesn't say that life will always be easy. In fact, it's clear there will be hard times. But it does say that he hears those who call out to him. It says he's close to those who weep. God promised he would never leave you or forsake you. And while I can't answer the question of 100% why God lets whatever suffering is happening in your life happen, I can say the coolest part is the end result is always the same. Jesus is always glorified in our suffering, 100% of the time. Verse 35 says, so all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him. They saw Aeneas. They saw the life change that happened there. They saw that the man who previously could not walk now is walking. They saw Aeneas suffer for eight years and they saw his life drastically change. They saw him and what was their response? They turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. Verse 42, with the account of Tabitha, this became known, or the story of, of what had happened to Tabitha became known throughout Joppa. And many people believed the Lord. They saw what happened to Tabitha. They knew Tabitha was a good person. And they saw God step into that situation. And many people turned to Jesus. We see the multiplication of the church through people's suffering. It's interesting to me. They didn't say, hey, let's go, let's go look and see it, what Peter did. Let's go, go follow Peter. Peter was the healer here. No, Luke is clear with, this, with these miracles. People turned to Jesus. You see, the healing of Aeneas wasn't about Aeneas being able to walk. I'm sure that he was more than appreciative for the restoration of the use of his legs. I'm sure the, that Tabitha being brought back to life, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But guys, that wasn't what the story was about. The story was about people coming to a relationship with Jesus. More and more people come to him and the church continues to multiply. My friend Keith, his, his girlfriend at the time wasn't a believer. Throughout that situation, a year or so later, Keith's brother actually had the opportunity to lead Keith's girlfriend to Christ. His brother over and over told that story to people, told the story of Keith, told how God stepped into that situation of them asking why, of why is this happening and God did something glorious with it. People at Keith's funeral heard the good news, heard the gospel of Jesus. 
Keith's girlfriend to this day is out working at a Christian school, working with children, working with kids who are the same age as Keith. Keith's brother is still telling that story. And maybe, maybe you're like Aeneas. Maybe you're in this spot right now to where something is just going on in your life. It's wrecking it. You don't know which way is up, which way is down. Maybe you're asking over and over why. Maybe you're asking, what purpose does this have? I'm sure Aeneas was there. I'm sure he thought he couldn't be used by God. What, what good is a, a paralytic? How can a paralytic bring glory to God? I'm sure he thought his story couldn't impact anyone. Yet we see all who lived in Lydda and Sharon turn to the Lord. All. I think Luke's intentional about using that word. Yes, it's probably a little bit of hyperbole there, but it was a mass number of people who came into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of Aeneas' suffering and because of how God stepped into that situation of brokenness, stepped into that situation to where Aeneas saw no end. And God turned it around for his glory, turned it around for something amazing. As the band comes up, maybe you're, you're in a spot where you say, Chris, I don't, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know what that looks like or what that even means. I don't know why he would, he would want a relationship with me. Guys, I want you to know this morning, like we are all broken. We all have trials. We all have tribulations. We are all far from God. And we need a Savior who comes and steps into our brokenness and rescue us. If you don't know what that looks like or have any idea what I'm talking about, please come talk to me. Come talk to someone. Come talk to one of the staff at the church. Maybe you're a believer and maybe you're there in the thick of that situation. Whatever it is, whether it be loss of a job, loss of a loved one, Maybe you feel like your life is just an absolute wreck right now. I want you to know this morning, your story is not fully yet written. God is still writing your story. He is still working where you're at. And he is still having you in that situation for you to cling to him. Yes, we cry out. We say, why? We say, God, are you actually in control? The answer is yes. 100% he is in control and he is begging for you to run to him. He is standing there with open arms wanting you to run to him. Guys, that's why life gets difficult sometimes. We can't do it on our own. We can't get through these situations on our own. We're like Aeneas and Tabitha. We don't have control over everything but we serve a great and mighty creator and healer who is in control of every single thing that happens. Your story is not written yet. Your story is not complete. But God's going to use that story. And God wants you to tell that story so that others can be brought to a relationship with him. The same way that happened in Lydda and Joppa. And a city was changed, a region was changed 
because of their suffering and those stories going out and people hearing that and lives were changed. I'll ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We all have a story. We all have trials and and suffering that we go through. Guys, God is there in the midst of that story. He is there in the midst of that pain. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is right there next to you, even though it feels like he might not be. The Bible tells us over and over, he is right there with us. He will never leave our side. Find hope in that. I can't help but think maybe the the disciples in Joppa had some sort of hope. They didn't bury Tabitha. They cleaned her up, left her in a room. I can't help but think there was some kind of expectancy there that God could use such a situation. God could use such a horrible situation to bring glory to him. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Tell your story. Share your story. There's people out there who need to hear it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning, God. It, it sounds so strange, but God, thank you for our suffering. God, sometimes we need our attention grabbed. Sometimes we need to realize that we're not in control of everything, that we have to rely on you. God, help remove that facade of self-reliance that we all too easily throw up. God, help us to lean on you. Life gets difficult. Life gets painful. Life is flat out messy. God, help us to cling to you in those situations. Help us to tell other people about our rock and our redeemer who is next to us in each of those situations. God, we thank you and we love you. Show us opportunities as we go throughout our week to tell somebody as well. In Jesus' name.